It's Thursday, June 25th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The FBI has concluded its investigation into a noose that was found in the garage stall of NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace at the Talladega Super Speedway and found that he was not the target of a hate crime and that it was a garage rope pull that was there since October 2019. Cindy Boren, sports reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for more on the FBI's investigation. Next, Florida's party and tourism-fueled economy is contributing to a rise in coronavirus cases, and it has all the makings of possibly being the next large epicenter. The demographics are also changing. More people in their 20s and 30s are contracting the virus. And things could also get complicated when President Trump takes the convention there in August. Francisco Alvarado, contributor to The Daily Beast, joins us for the rising numbers in Florida. Finally, it's not just you. You are hearing a ton of fireworks going off at night. While we are getting closer to the 4th of July and we usually hear an increase of fireworks leading up to the big day, there has been an increase in reports in New York, Los Angeles, Baltimore, and the Bay Area of people complaining about the loud bangs for weeks. Javed Kalim, national correspondent at the LA Times, joins us for why we are hearing fireworks more frequently across the US. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Unfortunately, uh, I hate that I'm kind of on the, the bad end of the deal because of it, just because I was simply given information, you know, re- uh, related to me and we went on with it. Joining us now is Cindy Boren, sports reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Cindy. Great to be with you. Wanted to talk about the Bubba Wallace and NASCAR story. The good news in all of this is that Bubba Wallace was not the target of a hate crime. This is according to the FBI, who concluded that after a crew member of Bubba Wallace's team found a noose in their garage stall at the Talladega Super Speedway, they actually found out that this rope was a garage rope pull that had been there since October of 2019. So, Cindy, tell us a little bit about what the FBI found out in their investigation. The rope has been there for, what is that, 10 months, whatever time means these days. According to pictures, which haven't been widely circulated, but they're certainly on the Internet, it's just sort of hanging down there. You know, I think most people who have garage doors have a mechanism, you know, that they can pull it down with a rope or some sort of rope-like thing, right? Bubba Wallace never saw it. He was not told about it. His team didn't go crying to NASCAR about it. You know, NASCAR is the one that announced it on Sunday. Then the feds got involved and said they were investigating. And of course, it made for the great scene on Monday at the final day of the race. But had NASCAR not announced it and, you know, an investigation into it, they probably wouldn't have noticed it. And we'd have all gone about our, you know, lives. And as I mentioned, it was a a crew member for his team that noticed that he reported it to the head of their team and they reported to NASCAR. And as you mentioned, the rest of it kind of went that way. I think NASCAR said that they are still performing an investigation as to why it was there in the first place, though. There was no way that the person who put that there could have known that Bubba Wallace was going to get that garage. The garages were only assigned, I think, like in the last week or 10 days. So it was a pretty odd set of circumstances. Certainly, you can understand that that would raise some suspicions um, in NASCAR and you'd want to know more. But unfortunately for this, everybody kind of accuses Bubba Wallace of falsifying a claim when, you know, he didn't even do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the FBI also mentioned that. And uh, uh, Steve Phelps from uh, NASCAR also mentioned, you know, that the number 43 team and, and Bubba Wallace had nothing to do with it. Wallace yep. himself didn't even find it. 
Phelps had to make the call and, and let him know what was going on. And you mentioned the pictures that were floating around on the internet. It's a little grainy. It's kind of hard to see. It does look like it could be a noose, although the FBI said it was not a functioning noose. And then a lot of people were saying, well, exactly. it's, just, it's just a loop tied into the rope, things like that. Bubba Wallace did a few interviews where he said, hey, it just looks like one to me. You know, I've been in garages a long time. <laughs> I haven't seen any other ones. I think in any of the other garage stalls, there wasn't a rope similar to that also. So in Bubba Wallace's head, you know, he said it looks like a noose. And you have to consider what was going on. He obviously pushed for NASCAR to ban the Confederate flag. The initial day of the race, there was a lot of people flying the flag. And it's understanding to think that he was uneasy at some times there. It's such a horrific symbol. It's just horrible. And, you know, it carries so much meaning and so much weight. And it looked like the rope was really super long. So maybe someone was trying to tie it and make a handle or something out of it. I'm trying to bend over backwards here. But come on, it's a noose. The FBI said it was. It's not a functioning noose. Um, thank God. But it's a noose and it doesn't belong there. It just has no place there. I don't know that they'll ever know then who, who would have done that, you know, conceivably with someone who works around Talladega Super Speedway and just nodded it last year, last fall sometime. Just the coincidence, people are calling it that ended up being Bubba Wallace's garage stall at that point. And then what happens as a result of all of this is the next day before the race, a really truly touching moment when all the drivers and all the crews walked Bubba Wallace's car to the starting line there. Bubba Wallace got out of his car and was crying. It was really a special moment showing how much support he had there from all the other teams. And then on the other side of it, people that are supporters of the Confederate flag, whatever you want to say, you know, they feel maybe like they were targeted unfairly because of this. So it really just widens the divide on this whole conversation. And it was frustrating for Bubba Wallace, who just wants to move on and, and race. He had a high enough profile as NASCAR's only African-American in the, you know, in the Elite Cup Series, as it was. And now he's got all this to deal with, the dreaded distraction you know, that athletes hate. But he also uh, realizes that the time that we're living in, and you know, he accepted responsibility and spoke out about the Confederate flag. He's been a leader in NASCAR. You know, he's 26 years old. He's going to be a force in NASCAR for years to come, no matter how successful he actually is on the track. I think he finished 14th on Monday, and that was, I think, his best finish. You know, he's, he's pretty young, but this is somebody who's going to be a leader, and he's been willing to talk about it. His mother even mentioned the other day that there had been several racist incidents as he was coming up through NASCAR that he'd been called the N-word a couple of times. And let's face it, drivers always mix it up with one another and shout at one another and go at one another. It's NASCAR. It's what happened outside of their cars. So he's heard some things before, according to his mother. Cindy Bourne, sports reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Great to be with you. They're operating at 55%. Okay, give them a warning. Tell them, hey, 50. But if you go in and it's just like mayhem, like Dance Party USA, and it's packed to the rafters, uh, that's just cut and dry, and that's not just an innocent mistake. Joining us now is Francisco Alvarado, contributor to the Daily Beast. Thanks for joining us, Francisco. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. 
as the country is starting to reopen their economies, unfortunately, we're starting to see upticks in a lot of states, upticks of cases of coronavirus. One thing in particular we're seeing out of New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, they're actually going to impose a 14-day quarantine on travelers from coronavirus hotspot states. This is all because their numbers are starting to go down. They want to keep it that way. So states wrapped up in this are Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Washington, Utah, and Texas. They're all seeing upticks. And if you go to any one of those three states, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, you're going to have to get into a 14-day quarantine. Francisco, you wrote a piece for the Daily Beast about Florida and how they're one of the states that are experiencing this. And part of it is their party and tourism-fueled economy. It's kind of flaming up these cases again. Tell us a little bit about that, Francisco. Florida, it's again, it's most of the jobs down here are hospitality related, meaning that people either work in restaurants or they work in hotels or they're basically working in venues where there's going to be a lot of people coming in. And it's also a very big party town and specifically in, in Miami-Dade. So when things started reopening and they started allowing venues like restaurants to reopen, there's some restaurants that are really not quote unquote restaurants. They're more like supper clubs where people can go party. You can have dinner, and at the same time, there's a DJ there, and then people are dancing, and people are smoking hookahs. It's really a a surreal scene when you break it down with everything that's happening around us. There's even an Instagram account that started up here in Miami where they're posting videos and pictures of businesses that are not adhering to the regulations of making sure people are wearing masks and social distancing. So when you see videos of people shoulder to shoulder, elbow to elbow at a pool party inside a restaurant where, you know, instead of just, you know, having dinner, but they're actually dancing and having a good time. It's easy to see why we're seeing our numbers increase so much. Last week, I think the record was like a little over a thousand a day reported. And now today we got 5,500 reported in one day. So that's kind of the situation down here. Now, Florida is an interesting example because They were one of the later states to impose the stay-at-home orders when this all started, and they were one of the first states that have started opening up. I think May 4th was when the governor, Ron DeSantis, said they can start opening things back up slowly. And early on, people, despite those stay-at-home orders, they started staying home. They started taking precautions. Now it seems like being locked down for a while, obviously everybody wants to get back out there, but the demographics of this are changing now. The people that are actually getting sick now are younger people in their 20s and 30s. And in most states where all the sicknesses are coming from, you know, they're in a lot of nursing homes. They are the elderly, more vulnerable populations that have comorbidities and all. But right now we're seeing an uptick in younger people getting infected. Because those are the people that are going out. Those are the people that you're seeing in these restaurants that I just mentioned. They're the ones that are believed because they don't have comorbidities and they don't have anything to worry about. They don't have any pre-existing health conditions that would make them more cautious. So they're just returning back to their normal lives. I mean, I can tell you, like, aside from my own article, I live like near the water and you can see like just boats passing by and like the boats are packed with people. People think that just because it's like five or six of them together that they're okay. They limit the gatherings of 10 or more. So they think if they stay under 10, that nothing's going to happen. And that's really not the case. It's an unfortunate thing. But here, another thing that's the problem here that why people I think go out a lot here in Florida is our sunshine. Obviously, that's our major draw, but it's also one of the reasons, I think, that people are going out again. People don't want to be inside their house. They want to be out enjoying the weather. 
and they want to like catch up with their friends on Ocean Drive and have drinks by, on Ocean Drive. And then next thing you know, they don't even know it. They're exposing themselves to this virus. Yeah. Obviously, nobody wants it to happen, but that's kind of where everybody's mindset is at, looking out to see where the next big epicenter in the United States is going to be. And Florida has the makings of it. Arizona, Texas, they're all experiencing these shifts up in infections. And one of the other things on the political side of things, President Trump, they're set to do the Republican National yeah, Convention there now in August. They moved it from uh, North Carolina because they weren't going to you know, maybe be able to do it the way they wanted to. And I know that there's a bunch of people that are saying, well, we don't want it here either now for fear that it could be a, a big super spreader event. That's just kind of like inviting trouble, having a, an event the size of a national political convention like the Republican National Convention. You're going to have people coming from all over the country into Jacksonville. And somebody had just pointed out to me that, you know, that these are folks that are not necessarily believers of wearing masks and social distancing. Some may even think that this whole thing is a hoax and they're all going to be gathering at the convention. And the possibility is high that they can catch this virus. They're going to be flying home and possibly spreading it to wherever they're coming from. Just to end this off, because uh, I thought it was a fun way to start the article, and we're talking about the party and tourism-fueled economy that Florida has there. Right. You know, you told a quick story about somebody who wanted to go out late, get some food. The only place he could go to was a gentleman's club that served food. I think it was called Gold Rush Cabaret. And what did he see Correct. in there? Well, he said that he was actually rather impressed by the measures they had taken. Before he even went in, they made sure he had a mask. They um, took his temperature. He said they sprayed him his hands down with some sort of you know, alcohol solution. And uh, once they went inside, they gave him his own table. And he was about six or eight feet away from the next tables around him. And that he saw that, you know, but there was still, you know, fairly decent crowd, about 100 people, half of them dancers. He said everybody was wearing masks and that everybody was keeping to themselves. It wasn't like a typical strip club atmosphere, you know, where <laughs> right. people are like walking around from bar to bar, you know, stopping to talk to one dancer, the next dancer. Yeah, he said it was just more like people keeping to themselves. Something I didn't get into the story. He said that it felt like people were like treating each other like they were lepers if yeah. you weren't part of their group. But still, it's, you know, it's an enclosed space and, you know, you can wear a mask, you can social distance. You're still going out and taking that risk. Francisco Alvarado, contributor to The Daily Beast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. We're going to start a huge sting operation to go and get these illegal fireworks at the base, meaning everywhere they're being sold around New York City and even where they're being sold in surrounding states that we know are flowing into New York City. Joining us now is Javed Kalim, national correspondent at the L.A. Times. Thanks for joining us, Javed. Thank you so much. wanted to talk about fireworks. This time of year, you always hear them a lot more. We're getting closer to the 4th of July. People pick up stuff early. You hear it. But I just feel like this year I have been hearing them so much more. Just a super quick story. I was taking a shower the other day about two in the afternoon and there was sounded like bombs were going off coming out of my bathroom window. And I was like, why are there fireworks right now at two in the afternoon? You can't even see them pop in the air. But I was just hearing them so much more. And then I ran across your article. It seems to be happening all over the place. Javed, tell us a little bit more about it. So I've also heard those stories. And I live in L.A. and I used to live in New York City. So just looking on social media or talking to friends, since a lot of us are, are indoors, if we uh, are working from home and get that privilege, we have to keep up with people other ways. And I've heard a lot of those stories of just sounds. 
booms and bangs and lights. And so what I looked into for the LA Times was how real is this? Is this just individual people or can we quantify it? And noise complaints, that's one thing you can look at. They've gone up tremendously in Boston and other cities around the country. You had a couple of numbers here. In the first 19 days of June last year, this is for New York. I think this is for Brooklyn. The city's 311 non-emergency line registered 27 calls. This same time period for this month, it was 6,385. And I read from a couple of other places, the New York City Police Department said they've logged more than 12,911 calls about fireworks this month. So people are just going pretty crazy with it. And there's a lot of stuff going on. Obviously, there was a lot of protests and I heard a lot of stuff going around during that. But it just seems like some of the protests have subsided and it's still happening. And of course, we're also getting closer to the 4th of July when fireworks happen every year. So there's a, there's a lot of speculation about what actually is going on. My belief, just from interviewing people and, and evaluating what's going on around the country, is that it's a mix of things. So on one hand, it is possible some city officials, especially in New York, have said they believe that more fireworks are being sold illegally because there are less official fireworks shows happening, but the products remain available in some way. Distributors and show producers say that's not happening. They keep a tight grip on things, but fireworks always make their way onto the underground market somehow. So that's one thing. The other thing is cities are quieter. We've opened up the economy more now, but even in LA, even in New York, the sound is quieter, less driving, less street noise. So those two together, I think, are one thing. In in terms of complaints, There could be a sociological phenomenon here. If you hear that this is a problem, fireworks and firework noise, and you hear complaints are going on, you likely are, you know, more uh, better positioned to make a phone call yourself about complaints. So have there been any official responses to this? I know that there's a lot of people looking into this. New York is setting up some type of commission so that they can Mm -hmm. look into it. On one level, it's not the biggest problem right now, right? Unless literally a fire is going to start or somebody's going to get hurt. And fires do start, especially in L.A., from fireworks. Unless you're getting to that, um, you know, we have a lot of bigger issues on our plate. Police shootings and abuse of individuals under arrest and the protests been going on. So that's one thing. And we have a close eye on policing that's going on right now. So hopefully um, law enforcement officials are being a little more careful and specific about what they respond to and how, including noise complaints. There are changes being made. So, for example, in New York, where a lot of the complaints about fireworks have been going on, there was a sort of drive-by protest at Gracie Mansion, where Rick Blasio lives. And today he announced that he used forming a task force to look into the fireworks complaints issue. Well, for now, it does really seem like it's not just you. It does sound like there are a lot more fireworks going on, so we'll just have to get through it right now. Javed Kaleem, national correspondent at the LA Times, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>